yo, hey yo. Hey everybody, welcome back to Yo Let Me Tell You. My name is Chandler, and today our special guest is Jen. Hello, how are you doing today? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I am chilling. I've you know I've been a little bit busy today. Been doing some running around, uh, but all for all for good things. I think that it's gonna make uh, some stuff easier later on in the future. So I, I like how we're being very like. <laughs> I got a I got a new I got a new uh, I got a desktop computer today. So specifically for like my streaming, um, I should like that should increase in quality, improve in quality, and yeah. So that's. But I was just running around a lot today, just like grabbing stuff. So. Okay. But how about you? How's your day been? Um, I've just been at work all day. You know, still learning new things. Mm-hmm. But I I really like it so far. I made some new connections with people. Okay. Okay. Where are these connections going? Uh, mm. well, they're they're with my residents, so you know they're gotcha. with like my my seniors and. I, I feel like I, I'm seeing life in a whole new light coming from, you know, being friends with like 75 plus people. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it really changes the way that you look at the world when you, um, it really changes the way that you look at the world when the people who you spend time with are definitely like older or just like less mobile too, I think is a big thing. Yeah, I think one of the things that comes up is just like end of life care, something I don't really think about. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, like this, this is going to be us soon. Yeah, for real, for real. Um, hopefully not too soon. But <laughs> um, but why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and some things that you like, give people a little bit of a picture of who you are. Okay, um, I have my background in public health. Mm-hmm. which is something, you know, very pertinent to today's, the, the current climate of things. Yeah. And um, for a while, you know, I thought I wanted to do reproductive health care. So I was, um, I spent a few years doing that. You know, I believe in educating our youth in comprehensive sexual health care. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of moved on to um, working with uh, people with disabilities what mental and developmental disabilities Mm -hmm. so previously it was with a younger crowd like 20 something years old to up to 70 now i'm at like 70 to 90 year olds Hmm. okay yeah so wait what what kind of so we're we're like just about to get into the discussion about what your topic is but i'm gonna hold off on that just a second because i want to know how you how you jumped from reproductive health to um to kind of caring for people with disabilities. Not that like that's completely unrelated, but I'm wondering like what that path, what that trajectory looked like. Um, it really happened by chance. And I think I'm really lucky that I kind of like fell into it. It was just like, I was kind of getting bored at where I was. So mm. I, um, I was looking at programs of going back to school and stuff. And then I found this certificate program out at the University of Massachusetts. Oh, so I moved from California California to Massachusetts. Okay. Uh-huh. I'm sure you know that. Yeah, no, but... I, I mean, I know, but everybody else might not, you know? <laughs> yeah, so um, that was like 
it, it was scary but exciting at the same time like applying for the program and I was just like okay you know just take the leap of faith and go for it and I ended up really liking it and I, I think I like really found a niche here okay okay and then what about like outside of like work outside of the classroom what kind of stuff do you do you find yourself into oh um you know what before this I would have told you like I don't know what I really enjoy but I think pandemic has really brought out that I, I like the arts Mm. Um, I've been crocheting a lot, so you, you know that. Like, um, I think just having an interest. Well, I've always had an interest, but now actually having the time to like go back into it and do doing crafty things and keeping my hands busy, it's mm. really nice. Awesome. Well, why don't we jump into the? Um, why don't we just jump into the conversation today? Why don't you introduce the topic to everybody? And uh, I just realized I don't have my pen and paper which means that I'm going to have to write stuff down on a sketch pad on my computer here um, so I can remember my notes. Uh, so I'll try to do that quietly. But uh, why don't you tell everybody, like, what you're talking about today? Okay, so uh, when I heard you were doing this podcast, I thought it was a really good opportunity to talk about the things that I learned in this program this year, which is the inclusion for um, policies and inclusion for people with um, intellectual and developmental disabilities. Okay. So policies and inclusion with people with intellectual and physical disabilities or just intellectual disabilities? Intellectual and developmental. That's developmental. The, that's, okay. that's kind of like the official term, IDD. Okay. Got you. And so um, what specific, I guess, like, so I, there's, a lot, there's a lot of different ways that we can take this direction. Um, I mean, you, you kind of told us what your kind of trajectory was, that this is what you're doing. Um, I guess what what uh like why why this field why this specific population um well as i said like i kind of fell into it but i mm -hmm. think what makes me want to stay is that there's a huge need for this population to be served and um yeah i, I don't think that need is ever gonna go away soon mm -hmm. we have a lot of work to do yeah um, so I guess I just wonder how you, how you want to jump into the conversation because the way I kind of prefer to do things here is like just let you go, let you talk, and then I'm just going to jump in whenever I feel like it and hopefully not rudely interrupt you. But I might interrupt you with some questions or anything like that, but we can just kind of go for it. Okay, let, let, let's go back and forth with it so that, okay. um, you know, so you might have questions and I might leave things out. Yeah, so I guess my, like, where do we, where do we start talking about the subject? Because... Um, it's not lost on me that this is a really big subject. I'm a therapist. I worked with a guy who had, um, you know, some um, developmental and physical disabilities. Uh, I worked with him for like two years as in-home care. Uh, and so I think that that already changed my worldview about how I look at people who have disabilities and how I look at how the world looks at people who have disabilities. But I guess what, what's a good starting place to, to even start this conversation? Well, I think um, what you brought up, it's just how the world looks at people with disabilities, so we can start there. I actually just saw something on Facebook today. It was a quote that says, you know, for a child with disabilities, the parent has to teach the child a lot about how to interact with the world. But mm. for people, you know, we say like atypical kids, we don't really teach them how to interact with kids with disabilities. And I think that's something really important that should be talked about more. Um, just why should kids with developmental disabilities be taught at a younger age, like 
how they should interact with the world to so people understand them but we are not teaching our neurotypical kids i say that with air quotes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how to interact with someone who is different than them yeah that i mean that's that's kind of yeah i, I that's like the story of of human interaction in human history right that we teach that the burden of the burden of being seen and understood is on the person who has less access to the privilege of being seen and understood right i like the way you worded that that was perfect (laughs) (laughs) yeah and so um so when when um talking about uh policies that that give give these people access what is what is it specifically that you're studying or things that um maybe are being proposed or things that feel like are just empty um things that just feel like they don't fit things that don't um register for the larger population like oh we should put this in place so that these people um this population of people can can navigate society a little bit easier one thing that i feel like uh really stood out to me when i was learning this was a lot of times um you know there is the issue of affordable health care and access to health care for everyone mm-hmm. but yeah it was very recent for it to even cover um autism treatment and autism isn't something that it is treatable mm-hmm. with the proper um if a child you know gets diagnosed early early intervention they get their uh therapies they can go on to live independent independent lives as adults mm-hmm. But up until I think it was like 2013, which is very recent, that there was a law that mandated insurance to cover those treatments. To, to cover um, treatments for children with autism. Yeah, so to cover autism treatment like um, mm. ABA therapy and I think there's like speech therapy, like all the things that a child would need to develop and become an independent adult. Mm-hmm. So that's already mandated for them. Yeah, so that's already mandated, but that just came in recently. Oh, and before recently. that, it, okay. Yeah, so I think like 2013, which oh, okay. is crazy, like within the last 10 years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And before that, it was kind of like hush hush. Parents don't really talk about their kids' disabilities, and especially for people who are low income or in communities with other disadvantages. Mm-hmm. Parents don't have that access to get all this help for their kids. Like there isn't like a, a saved up retirement plan that they can pull out to get those services for their kids or like some kind of savings where mm-hmm. they can go to therapy. Right. I mean, you're, you're already, I, I had typed a question up that you're already starting to, to dip into because I, I just, it basically just says gender slash race slash class question mark. Um, how are these things like impacting people's ability to like seek out this care at an early age? Because um, probably what you're seeing is that the impact of what people were able to get at an early age has has you know long reverberating consequences for when they're 75 to 90 plus years old. Yeah, um, there's a huge disparity between race, class, and gender, and um, let's say just gender. Autism is more it's more common in boys. And in, well, I don't know about like the race, but you know, I'm sure people can Google that, but Mm -hmm. for parents to have the knowledge to access the help for their kids, it's very, it's not very widespread. Yeah. Yeah. I I think about, um, I mean, I'm I'm even thinking about like the, the racial divide, right? That there's, um, there are, um, people who have typically been, you know, more affluent, 
um, more, um, they've been having a lot more access to money, a lot more access to resources, white people. And they can like, they can afford to say like, oh, my kid is different, my kid needs help. Um, whereas I'm thinking about like, um, you know, a single mother of color, or even not a single mother of color, just a family of color who's, whose kid has autism or whose kid is like on the spectrum or has, um, you know, Down syndrome or anything like that, um, that it might be, that they might even feel uh, more compelled to, to, to not talk about those things because, you know, they can't afford to, you know, drive their kid two extra places a week. They can't afford to pay for these classes. They can't afford, like, these specific things. Um, so I guess I'm wondering, like, in your position as you're working with, with people um, in their, you know, in their late adulthood, uh, what kinds of things do you see or what kind of differences do you see among people um, that, you know, maybe you can suspect are based on, you know, access at, at a young age versus not having access at a young age or anything like that? I think for people that I see, like, by the time... I, I think with the residents and like the patients that I see, they're already at a huge dis, at, at a huge advantage because they have a program to go to. I worked at a day hub, so um, you know in the morning they get dropped off at day program, and then afternoon they get picked up. Wait, to was go that home is that a term? At day hub. Day hub. Yes, that is a term. <laughs> Wait, okay, I've never heard that before. Oh, so uh, this is also, this is where I intern. So I intern at a day habilitation. So it's kind of like rehab, but it's a day program, kind of like us going to school. Yeah. But for um, people with autism or other developmental disabilities, at age 22, they exit the public school system. Okay. And then they need a structure. It's really hard for families to keep an individual at home and you know, who's going to take care of that person, like, mm-hmm. during the day? And during the day, there needs to be structure of, like, activities and things to do and, you know, mm-hmm. sensory stimulations and all of, and pet therapy. We have horticulture, art therapy, and music therapy. Okay. So it's a place to go to to further develop. And so it gives them not only a, um, yeah, a place to maybe further develop, to to socialize to um you know to like uh essentially like work out the brain you know like get this the stimulation and also like form social bonds it sounds like would be really important too yeah so they have uh they have lunch with friends and then we do goals and objectives so there's um there's a speech language pathologist there's an occupational therapist they have all these professionals here but the problem is even though it's nice and already being there is such a privilege to have access to this these things are federally uh, federally funded so they're you know it's not very nice things are very old and employees don't get paid very well so there's a lot of uh turnover yeah and that affects the people as well Mm -hmm. federal funding versus private funding right um so federal funding federally funded programs are the result of you know um legislation and um legislation and lobbying right versus like this private kind of for-profit uh model i mean for-profit is like kind of like the what it is but it's doesn't necessarily mean good or bad but i guess i wonder uh, about um you know that that scene too you know as a as a therapist i i work at a i work at a college i'm paid by the state of california um, but I could also work at a private practice 
and you know charge this much per session and you know make money that way i guess i w just wonder what the difference um in terms of like resources um, and access there is between like these federally funded programs and these more um privately funded programs are i actually don't really know the answer to that because uh -huh. i i don't know how these families get the individuals to go to these programs mm -hmm. so i don't know because I, I know we are paid by like the state but we do have a number who are private pay as well mm -hmm. so oh so some people do private pay and some people don't there's like yes. a qualification process yeah okay and the okay. people who who do private pay obviously they come from very affluent families okay yeah I mean, so r right now, I think I'm asking a lot of these questions because my mind is just always very much like focused on like, like what's the like what's the intersection of of you know class? What's the what's the intersection of identity on how people can get access? But you're also here to talk about like just policies in general or even policy making and like what are what are some of the struggles that maybe you're learning about or that you're hearing about in terms of um, getting people more access to care or getting people. Um, more access to like uh, you know stuff that might like intersect with like the ADA and stuff like that I think um, well in my mind I was thinking like these people need someone to advocate for them and usually um, there's a stigma for you know there's a stigma against people with intellectual and developmental disabilities mm -hmm. and with the whole like coronavirus pandemic right. at the beginning there was this issue about um, issuing ventilators to people with disabilities because like should they get a ventilator should they not and then that was a whole thing in itself that I wasn't really hmm. too knowledgeable with but apparently I was hearing that if they come in with a ventilator the hospital can take it away Wait. if the hospital was short on ventilators if they deemed that this person was you know like not at high risk or something like that yeah if, if like you know their quality of life was not great they could give it to somebody else i I don't know the correct wait, term for it. What, wait, it's so like if the, so like I'm a person with a disability who goes into a hospital and I have a ventilator and if my quality of life is already bad, they take the ventilator away from me to give it to somebody whose quality of life would be quote unquote better if they had the ventilator? Yes, that was a problem. And like it could be your private ventilator that you brought in to the hospital. That doesn't sound right. No, it's not right. <laughs> Wait, like, and, but I mean, you like, know, that doesn't even sound like, like a thing that should ever, that could ever ha what? I'm sorry. I didn't yeah, there, there, there was talk about that in my class. I can't like, you know, I, I can't bring up like the name of it, but there was like some issue going on with those ventilator things too at the beginning of this. Oh man. I, I want, I want to look this up while, while you talk, I'm going to look this up. Uh, you know, I can send you articles after we're done with this. Okay. 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 Um, wait, ventilators taken from people with disabilities. Let's see what, <laughs> let's see what I get on Google. Um, state policies may send people with disabilities back to the, uh, wait, to the back of the line for ventilators. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, that's 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 kind of some bs anyway so yeah, it, it's insane that you can google this and actually it come up and like this is the world we're living in yeah wait and so what's what's the it's because their quality of life is lower because they don't have the same 
ability as other people. Like they can't either walk as well, talk as well, breathe as well, um, those kinds of things. And so they're saying like, well, this person's more likely to die. So let's just let them die in favor of somebody who could live a better quality of life. Yeah. Mm. And I, I think anyone who works with people with disability knows that that, of course, like you said, that is BS because once you get to know a person, it's not about like how someone can walk and talk and like, you know, do other things. Like everyone has a personality that they yeah. can show you. Yeah. Yeah. And so what was so what if if you if you can remember or not, like what was what was done or what was kind of who stepped up to advocate for them? I don't I don't really know. Or did anybody? Definitely a lot of people spoke up. Definitely a lot of parents of people with disabilities were outraged that this was happening. But mm. um, as far as like what really happened after that, I'm not too sure. Mm. What are some ways that you see, um, what are some ways that you see people being kind of treated unfairly or being treated differently um, because of their disability? Um. I'm gonna say like not just like specifically, but the way our society is built, it's not created to include people with disabilities. Mm. And this is something that I'm more aware of now that I work with this population. It's when you go to a pool, do you ever notice like, is there ever a handicap lift for a pool? Very, very few times have I ever seen one, if any. Yeah, like I was surprised. I went to a hotel and the hot tub had a handicap lift, and that was like the one time I remember seeing mm. one. Yeah, I think I've seen it like one time. Yeah, and um, so um, our day hab is actually a, so it's called, um, the, it's this big foundation out here, and they actually worked with the city to come up, to make a park. And this park has wheelchair accessible swings, seesaws, and, I, it's not a slide, but, you know, just having a playground that is wheelchair accessible is a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. I've never. Yeah. I'm still learning about this kind of stuff, too. I did this for two years and I'm still learning about like, yeah, I've never thought that like a playground with sand, like, you know, who can't enjoy that? Someone who is in a wheelchair, for example, yeah. or someone who has to walk with crutches or something like that um, can't really enjoy that kind of experience. Like, just getting somewhere is so hard, and, like, you know, having wheelchair ramps or big enough hallways to turn around in, mm-hmm. and having public bathrooms that are wheelchair accessible or with an adult changing table, mm-hmm. that's also a huge thing. Adult changing table. Wow. Yes, adult changing tables. Yeah, because the ones that we have are only for babies. Yeah, no, that's actually that actually can be something that would be really, really... Uh, important, especially a lot of, I mean, a lot of adults with, um, with, uh, with disabilities, especially if they're, you know, um, if they can't use their legs well, or they can't, um, they don't have like a lot of muscle control. A lot of them are on catheters. They're on, um, you know, these, uh, specific, um, you know, like bowel and, and urinating kind of cycles and stuff like that. And so sometimes those things don't always work. They malfunction and you need to go to the bathroom and figure out how to clean that up. Um, an adult changing table would be really helpful in that in that case yeah like just looking at the world around us and how it's built like i feel like it really opened my eyes because you know when we go out we just think like is there a clean restroom but you never really think about the space around it like is this is someone 
in a wheelchair able to maneuver around this mm-hmm. reach the sink or are there handlebars mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah can they even get through the front door yes do they have to get through the or does someone have to lift them through the front door because the front door has a lip that is like four inches tall that everybody just steps over and never thinks about mm-hmm. mm. so what so what does it feel like your piece in all of this is I feel like my piece in it, I, okay, so being me as a person, I'm also very, like, emotional. I care about, like, the personal connections. So I like to, I feel like I I feel so hopeless when I think about the bigger piece. Like, how am I going to change the world to bring inclusion? But Mm -hmm. it starts out as, like, how do I make this person feel good right now? You Mm -hmm. know, a lot of people, they don't have someone to talk to. No one really, like comes and asks about their day their interests and have someone like really sit there and talk Mm -hmm. sometimes like with the residents i am with now like family you know they come when they can every few weeks or every few months and even with staff you know there's a problem with facilities is i think it's always so short-staffed and there's always such like a huge turnover rate that staff don't always stay and get to like communicate and talk to them so I think that brings I try my best to do that mm-hmm. and sit with a person okay um so this more personal side of things right yeah um do you have any I I mean I don't know if, if you can or can't talk about any like maybe um specific like stories about people who you don't that you shouldn't name uh but like like some like examples or some stories that you've had with experiences with with people that have really been helpful and maybe either um, opening your eyes to some blind spots that you may have had in the past or just some stories that really point out um, and drive home some of the points that we've talked about today. Um, I think one of the huge things that I learned and being with these residents is, you know, when you see someone with a physical disability, I don't know I think like growing up I never really like thought much of it you just like oh they have a disability but as you get to know them there's this whole person inside like Mm -hmm. that you know they can tell you what they want they can tell you how their day was you just need to take the time and understand it Mm -hmm. and I think that's like that's a really beautiful thing that I've been able to experience yeah any um are there are there any people who like uh like come to mind like no names obviously but any people who come to mind when you think about this yes there's like a handful of people that come to mind and you know I've also had like guest speakers in my program who are um who are disabled and they talk about like you know dating and Mm -hmm. going out things like that you know Mm -hmm. things that like all of us do but one of the things we bring up is that no one really thinks about sexuality in people with Mm -hmm. um disabilities and that's very like it's there like we're all human we have desires we have needs Mm -hmm. and it's no different yeah yeah no that is something that uh in two different experiences um that i've had uh working with people who had disabilities was very much a big big piece of of the puzzle um i can think of um i had i did a couples therapy thing where i had somebody who had a disability um, and somebody who wasn't, and f- something we we talked about their sex life very often, um, not because it was like it was something that like, you know, uh, the partner who did not have a disability was like, 
you know, I thought this would be easier. You know, I, you know, I got into this relationship and things were easy at first. And then as time goes on and now we're married, like it's way harder than I ever thought it could be two or three years ago. Um, and the person with the disability was like, you know, I'm sorry I couldn't <laughs> live up to what, like what you wanted me to be kind of thing. But it was, it was a really interesting kind of dynamic talking about this and processing some of this and maybe even helping them find some resources to be able to have the kind of experience that would be really fulfilling for them because, um, and, and you know, it's, it was really hard to find those resources too. It was very difficult. Really? You know, I don't even know of the resources. I know there's like, um, there actually, this brings to mind, there is a movie on Amazon. It's called Keep the Change. Keep the Change. And the two, the two people who play in it, they're, they're actually, in real life, they have, um, they're, they have autism. Mm. And they play two individuals with autism who fall in love. And mm. there is a sex scene in there, too, hmm. which I think was, like, something like, wow, like, this movie actually addresses that. Yeah. Yeah, it, I don't think there's very many movies that, well, A, that, I mean, you're just bringing up another thing. Like, when we talk about people who have disabilities in movies, there's people who, like, what do we get? Tom Hanks is Forrest Gump. We get um, Brian Cranston as a quadriplegic. Um, we get what's like Shia LaBeouf had that like Disney Channel movie um, way is, back is in the holes? day. Is it Holes? Because he actually has another a, a new one. Um, it wasn't Holes. It, it was like it was like a Disney Channel original movie where like I think that he was like the younger brother who was supposed to have had autism or something like that. Um, I feel like I know what movie you're talking about, but I can't, like, say he, the name. But he has one, like, after he left Disney. So it's called The Peanut Butter Falcon, and it's with Dakota mm-hmm. Johnson. Yes. Yes. That, that I, one was pretty cute. I love that movie, actually. The Peanut Butter the, the Peanut Butter Falcon. I recommend that movie to everybody. It was, like, one of my favorite movies of uh, 2019, actually. So. Oh, I didn't know it came out in 2019. I actually just recently watched it because that was part of our program. Okay. Yeah, and that was that movie made me really happy because... Um, they actually had people who had disabilities playing the role of people who had disabilities. It, none of this, um, oh my gosh, what was that one called? The, uh, it's like one where this guy pretends to be, to have a disability to go to the Special Olympics to win a bunch of money. The, oh no, I, I don't know that one. Mm, it's like, I thought it was really funny back in the day and it's like really, really problematic. Like incredibly <laughs> problematic. Um, and, and it's like, and it's like until you do work with until you do this kind of work, um, like adjacent or directly, like it doesn't feel problematic, you know? Yeah. Like why, why would anybody get mad at Brian Cranston playing a guy who's in a wheelchair? It's like, well, because there's actual actors and actresses who are actually in wheelchairs, you know? And we have this problem with race all the time, Mm -hmm. but rarely do we hear anyone speak out about this within the population of people with disabilities mm-hmm. yeah and so I think that um, part of that conversation has to I think what do you think about that part of the conversation like shifting because I think that uh, we're in a time in the country right now where we're like really digging into race like super super deep um, and then I and I think that that's a conversation that people are willing to kind of continue well some people are really willing to continue often um, conversations around sex and gender I think people are willing to continue um, but it really feels hard to kind of keep a conversation about people with disabilities going. I think part of the reason of 
it being hard is because people with disabilities need another voice to advocate for them sometimes so you know it's usually like a parent or a loved one when we talk about things like race or gender and sex like you know it's that group speaking up mm-hmm. but when you think about people with disabilities like you got to think like who's who's their voices too mm-hmm. yeah um and so part of that means like like amplifying their voices um part of that means lifting up their voices and advocating for them as well um but also letting them speak i think that there was something this video that had spread about it was a guy who had down syndrome and he was talking to i think he was talking to congress about some law that was going to be passed um and it was going to i don't remember what the exact law was but i think that you know he had um kind of seen it like negatively affecting his life and so he went to he like testified in front of congress and it was like look at this amazing thing this guy with down syndrome is talking to congress and he sounds so smart and intelligent and i'm like i think that the way that we're spreading the story is a part of that problem too right that somebody who has down syndrome like speaking to congress eloquently and, and intelligently that we don't expect that somebody should be able to do that we see them as less than you know and I think that it's great that, you know, we shared that story and brought a lot of awareness about that. And also, we need to make sure that when we're sharing those, we're talking about these people as if they're people, you know, just like everybody else, right? Yeah, actually, I don't... Are you talking about John Anton? Is that... Let me check. Um, Why? Why do you ask? Because um, he actually came to one of my classes to speak speak about him talking in front of Paul... I don't know if it was Congress, but it was he. He did go to Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. May it might be him. I'm not entirely sure. I would have to see the video. Okay, because I I didn't see a video, but I I remember like the name of the guy who came to speak to us. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think the way we talk about it, it's like, oh, this person with Down syndrome, like talking, like you said. We focus more on the disability rather than what's being said. Yeah, that it, it's person before disability. It's disability before person, right? Um, um, it's an autistic person. It's, uh, it's um, a, a, a Down syndrome person instead of a person who has autism, a person who has Down syndrome, or John, or Alan, or James, or Becky, or Zoe or Danella or whoever you know what I mean yeah like the headline will choose to highlight you know this one thing about them rather than their name Mm -hmm. yeah I would like that to change um and that's a problem with our media like for anything it's like I saw that post it was like homeless high school student is a valedictorian like why don't you just say his name yeah yeah I think I think I care more about the... Per- I mean, I do care about his circumstances, right? But I'd like to know who the person behind those circumstances are. Yeah. Um, and so I think that there, there needs to be a change in how we... The change in the discourse of, of like how we have this public discourse about... I mean, people with disabilities is, is the um, IDD. I almost like forgot the acronym. Intellectual Developmental Disabilities. Yes, um, exactly but also like just a lot of things that we do as well. Um, are there things that, are there places where like websites, articles, books, or um, 
I don't know, like any kind of resource that people who want to learn more about this and maybe become more involved in advocacy or even just want to educate themselves about some of this stuff. Are there any kind of resources that you could recommend to people? There are. Um, there is actually a documentary on Netflix called Crip Camp. Okay. And um, this it, it came out pretty recently. And then I, there's also another book. It's called like Disability Rights and something. Is it on your shelf over it, there? Yeah, it is. It's okay. I can Wait. edit out the space between you getting the book and coming back. Let me just... Or you're going to Google it. I was going to Google it. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. We don't need to get up off of the shelf. We yeah, have we don't need to move. We have computers. Oh, it's called Disabled Rights. Disabled Rights. Okay. Who's it by? Disabled Rights by Jacqueline... Vaughn? Jacqueline Vaughn? Okay. Disabled Rights, American Disability Policy, and the Right for Equality. Oh, okay. Um, so th this is really cool because I can... Uh, is it a black and yellow book? Yes, it is a black and yellow yeah, book. I'm seeing it right here. What I can do, I can put all of that stuff in the show notes. So like that documentary that you mentioned, this book. Um, so Crip Camp, Disabled Rights, uh, American Disability Policy, and the Fight for Equality. Uh, anything else? Like, are there podcasts you can recommend? People who like social media pages that you can recommend? Literally anything. I don't really know about podcasts and social media, but when I Google the book, um, there's a book called Being Human. I don't know if you see it on your screen. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Judith Human, I believe she also serves on Congress, and she is an individual with disability. Okay. I will. I will make sure to put those three. Uh, I'll make sure to put those three in the show notes. I actually haven't watched it, but I heard that she had a interview recently with uh, Noah. I don't know his last name, but you know the talk show host. Mm, oh, and, uh, Trevor Noah. Yes. Yeah, love Trevor Noah. Actually, I have not watched him. I think you would like him. I mean, and I only I can only think that you would like him based off of uh, tweets you make and Instagram <laughs> stories that you post. So. I think that you would enjoy his sense of humor, and he's a he is a political comedian um, these days. So, I think you would I think you'd really enjoy his content. So I, I think you should check. It I out. think I would. I be, I I never thought that I would be someone who care not cares, but who would be so into politics when I was younger. But I mean, I guess that's all kids, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I know I was in politics. I got into politics in December of 2016. Because I said, I never want to be caught off guard by why something like this happens again. <laughs> like, I was just like, there's, like, no way that I should have, like, missed this coming. Um, I think that was a point where I got into politics, too. <laughs> Maybe, like, October of 2016. <laughs> I think I would, like, understand, like, yeah, no, I don't think I really, under like, got into politics until after that election. And I was like, never again will I at least, like, I just need to, like, I was not prepared for that night. Um, that's, this is a different podcast in a second. Um, <laughs> okay. You know, I, I know how to relate this back to this podcast. Okay. It was that clip where he mocks a reporter with disabilities. Okay. Yeah. We're talking about so Trump, that... everybody. Just so you know, <laughs> I, I'm not afraid to say I don't like Trump on my podcast. If you don't like it, don't listen. Um, anyways. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, let's talk about people with disabilities and that clip and how that portrays that population and inclusion. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I don't think that even when he did, like, the way that he's, it wasn't like this, 
was it it's like how am i trying to say this i i'm not trying to say it wasn't bad or it wasn't egregious because it was but it wasn't out of the ordinary in terms of how people how people perceive others who have disabilities like i think that his his interpretation was on par with this larger kind of public um cognition of people who have um disabilities specifically um those kinds of disabilities right yeah i think it's just you know he he will say what everyone else is already thinking well, not everyone else but yeah. you know the negative things that we're trying to dismantle here yeah there's a lot that needs to be dismantled and there's a lot um of people who there's a there's a lot of uh jobs in the administration that should be taken up by a bunch of different people but that's a different story um I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today to talk about these things. I'm wondering if you have any final closing thoughts, anything that we didn't get to, anything that feels really important to say. No, I mean, I just hope at the end of this that everyone listening just, I've brought more awareness about how our society could do better to include people with disabilities and to keep an open mind and see people in a different light rather than just like you know seeing the disability first and just knowing that everybody has their own voice and everyone even if they don't look like they're like you and me cognitively you know they understand what's going on people understand how they're being treated Mm -hmm. and everyone has things that they like and you know people have dreams and aspirations and their different opinions and we should all respect that yeah Well, I really appreciate you coming on the show today, Jen. Thank you for having me. You'll Let Me Tell You is recorded and edited by me, Chandler Riley. Special thanks to Mark and Cabo for composing and recording all of our music. Show him some love at Mark and Cabo on Instagram and search up his YouTube, Mark and Cabo. If you like our show, let me know on Twitter and Instagram at McFly. And follow me at twitch.tv slash sleevesmcfly to keep the conversations going while I play video games, of course. Thank you all for listening, and I hope to see you next time. Bye-bye.